Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Hi, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, and I'm here today as the host, of course, of the Reasonable Voices news talk radio program, and my guest today is a very good friend of mine, Bree Luck, that's B-R-E-E, Luck, L-U-C-K, is the Artistic Director of Live Arts in Charlottesville, Virginia. Bree, how are you today? I'm great, Marcello. How are you? I'm great, too, and, and all the better for having you as a guest. Uh, it's, um, it's, yes, it's been, it's welcome. It's been, it's our first, uh, interview, I believe. But, um, yeah. So in that case, you know, and, and maybe for other people as well, uh, tell us a bit about yourself. I know you've heard that question before. I mean, you know, like, uh, life before Charlottesville and before becoming the artistic director of live arts. There was no life before live arts, Marcello. (laughs) (laughs) So I was, uh. I was an actor for about 15 years, and I'm a drama therapist by uh, by degree. Mm-hmm. And uh, moved to Charlottesville when our when my husband and I had our older child, who is graduating from high school this week. Oh so, wow! I know. So Charlottesville has served us well, and I was really happy to fall into the. Uh, the arms of live arts early in my time here as a volunteer and Mm -hmm. then as education director for a while and now I'm delighted to be the producing artistic director get to work with so many wonderful talented people in Charlottesville well clearly you have uh, you know live arts inside and out I mean you you've uh, as you've just uh, said you you worked your way up through the ranks but at, at all the while you garnered all of this knowledge I mean you brought to live arts of course your own expertise um, as a matter of fact we've been in a show together was we have quite, yeah quite a while ago but uh yes and and uh and that was um fantastic and also uh, uh ray who works at live arts was in that same production yes that's right mm-hmm. okay well let's get to the mission statement you and i've talked about this before the mission statement of live arts forging theater and community it is it seems so simple and yet it's so incredibly inclusive what what are your thoughts oh i think it's 
I I am so happy to have inherited such a robust and elegant mission mm. statement, and it's uh, it's it also really speaks to the constant paradox of creating theater uh, in a community theater, mm-hmm. where we are really seeking to engage the community, to entertain the community, to challenge the community, and also to be supported by the community. Yes. <laughs> and so it's it's a joy. And that, that word forge, it's it, it you know, it brings up the feeling of, of blacksmithing <laughs> and, <laughs> and and also of, of a plant growing through concrete or something. And mm. what we do at Live Arts feels like both. Mm-hmm. So, how does the structure work? I've I've uh, I've never worked in well I guess I've worked twice in in community theater. Once, of course, was the production I was speaking of in which we appeared together, but also I directed a a production in a community theater. But I, my discovery was that you had not only actors but all the actors also had other careers and they brought that shall I say that talent that experience to their performance what 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 do you think oh absolutely we so we have we are community theater so all of our directors actors designers builders ushers dramaturgs concessions workers everyone is 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 volunteering their time it's it's pretty incredible but we do have a professional staff, so the staff keeps the, the sort of engine running mm-hmm. so that we can keep all the productions going. We have a, so we have a staff that has nine, uh, well, it has nine paid staff members on it, and then there's one very dedicated volunteer who's an honorary staff member <laughs> because she is I think the the longest standing staff member at Live Arts, uh, and she handles our database, so uh, we are grateful for her. But but the professional staff keeps the the lights on, the bills paid, the floors clean, mm-hmm. and uh, and that the paperwork filed, and then the volunteers really make the magic, mm. and it's pretty pretty extraordinary and yes you're right we have people who are coming in from all walks of life here who bring with them a wealth of knowledge and understanding of the human condition Mm. and and also it's pretty wonderful when you go see a show and suddenly you you realize that's my orthodontist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my orthodontist on the stage, <laughs> and you begin to look at, at your neighbors a little differently when you see them have the ability to create something like a show. Mm-hmm. You know, we we all. Um, I don't live in Charlottesville full time, but I was in Charlottesville in August 2017. And anyone who was there, and of course the nation, it was a national story, and I know Susan Bro very well now. How did that impact, in general, in your opinion, not just the Charlottesville community, everyone has talked about that, but what about the Charlottesville theater life? What about the arts in Charlottesville? What about our live arts? What impact did it have? Well, we, we have had 
a lot of support in the wake of August 11th and 12th of 2017 and really increasing diversity in the voices that are represented at Live Arts. Mm. We believe that if we are if we are a community theater, then we need to be telling stories that reflect our full community. Mm. And so in in American theater, typically the percentage of shows written by white men that are produced in a in a typical theater American theater season mm-hmm. is about eighty percent. So it's about eighty percent wonderful plays mm-hmm. <laughs> written by wonderful, I'm sure, white men, and then about twenty percent everyone else that's women and persons of color. Mm. You know, and, I, I never thought of that at all until you mentioned it to me the other day. Forgive me mm-hmm. for interrupting, but I, I want to confess to that because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who uh, who need to come to come to grips with that too. Go ahead. No, and and I I was in your shoes really. I had no idea that that was the that that was the ratio until we began having some discussions. Uh, in the wake of August 11th and 12th, with the with the full theater community, we hosted a few community forums on diversity, equity, and inclusion in theater, mm-hmm. and that's when a number of these issues began to to really when we when we realized it was we were late in addressing them, mm. and we really needed to do this now, and and so we have so last season. We flipped that ratio, mm-hmm. so we had about, and it's it's approximate, about 80% of the shows that we produced last season were written by women and persons of color, and about 20% were written by white men. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and while we're not uh, married to that exact ratio until the end of time. One of the things that we really felt in wake of this year, in light of the overwhelmingly positive response to that programming shift, is that we want to make sure that we are continuing to have a reasonable representation mm-hmm. in our season. And uh, and so this this year also reflects a similar a similar ratio mm-hmm. there and um, and it's exciting and it's been it's been uh, a really eye-opening experience to to share in this storytelling process with so many artists who we have had several artists who have been new to the directing chair mm-hmm. and and we've also had three persons of color who are directing shows this year mm-hmm. so that's been it's been wonderful and and what we're seeing is that our our audience is is growing we've had an incredibly <laughs> warmly received season with uh, with most of the shows extending and that just it lets us know that that people need that our community needs to have these stories told so. exactly and so by extending just... by extending you mean the audience attendance is so great that you have to continue the performances you you add more uh, play dates yes that's right that's right. exactly right and actually it's a big deal to extend a show at live arts because everyone is volunteering their time mm. 
So they sign up for a certain amount of time. Usually it's 12 or 16 productions, depending on whether it's in the big theater or the small theater and whether it's a musical or a non-musical. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if we have to extend beyond that, it's a real, it's a real gift from the creative team when they give us even more time to tell a story. Mm-hmm. So we think long and hard about it. Yes, and and uh, it, it, I imagine it's a, it's a real juggling act too. And people are sort of uh, they must have in their back of their mind. I mean, all actors want an extension. Let's face it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, they they hope for that, but it does cause, as you say, for everyone to sort of rearrange what life may throw at them to make that happen. I That's I right. wonder. Um, this sounds like to me more of a, a lifestyle change. Is this is something that, as you say, not you're not married to uh, the exact ratio flip um, uh, all the time and forever, but are you married to the idea that th- this effort for diversity and inclusion, beginning with the choice of plays and playwrights, uh, is something that is now going to be a part of live arts? Yes, and as I think we mentioned uh, in in a conversation recently, I, I've I've been saying it's not a fad; yes. <laughs> it's a lifestyle change. <laughs> yes, yes, that's probably why where I got that phrase. Yes, you did say that. That's right. I remember that now. A lifestyle change, and it's a good thing. And I think again to just say, if you haven't been impacted by. Uh, seeing and directing and performing in plays that are mostly by white men, you don't really think about it. So you are forgiven. But now uh, live arts, among others, and and certainly the city of Charlottesville have brought that to the fore, and um, it's time to think about it. It's like when I, years ago, you know, they started saying Ms., and I went, why would anyone be, want to be called Ms.? It was seemed such an unattractive sound to me. And then a woman said to me, well, if a mister is mister, whether he's married or not. But when you say Mrs., you tell the world you're married. And so there ought to be a neutral, you know, <laughs> Ms. for us as well. And it just made so much sense. And the reason I hadn't thought about it is because I wasn't a woman. So we need to we need to be become aware, open to things that we haven't thought about before in live arts, and you are doing that. I guess I do want to talk about the season, but I want to do that mostly in the next segment. I'm wondering, at 1.2 the other day, you told me conversations about diversity and inclusion are not enough. And, uh, and that's sort of what triggered this as a lifestyle change for live arts? That's right. If if we're having conversations, then they often feel confrontational or uh, or like we're being talked at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, conversations are great. I don't mean that, but mm-hmm. I think that that's the risk that sometimes we run, or we get burnout, or we we're exhausted by um, having having that be the conversation all the time. I. I think we can also bear with it. <laughs> Honestly, yes. I think we need to do the work, and and conversations are certainly a part of that. But the wonderful thing about theater is that it's it's a projective technique. So mm-hmm. it is we're not just talking about an issue, but we're talking about it's telling a story about a family mm-hmm. or about a choice, a life choice, or about a movement or about 
some kind of conflict that is a human conflict mm. but when it's through the lens of a woman or a person of color as the playwright and and also perhaps as the director then we're getting a, a it's a different way in than we often see mm-hmm. and and so for example right now we have a show playing called the royale mm-hmm. and it is a, a retail a drama a, it's not an exact retelling but it's based on the life of jack johnson uh-huh. the boxer yes. and and seeing him seeing this character who is he's a fantastic boxer and the story is that he is going to go up against the the white heavyweight champion because he doesn't want to be the black heavyweight champion mm-hmm. he wants to be the heavyweight champion yes. of america but the repercussions of that which are things there were repercussions that I might never think of as a white woman mm-hmm. who is not a boxer mm-hmm. <laughs> and and um, the exploration of the repercussions that could happen across the nation uh, were are really eye opening and those are the types of stories that really give us a chance to to see things from different perspectives mm-hmm. in a way that is also incredibly entertaining. And and so that's it's a gift. It's a gift of theater. Mm-hmm. All right then, we're going to take a short break. We are talking to Bree Luck, the artistic director of Live Arts in Charlottesville, Virginia, and we're going to talk in our next section about her upcoming season. But this is a fantastic conversation about how theater and theater arts give back and draw on so much from community. It's a two-way street and ever evolving. And as she has said, Live Art has made a lifestyle change. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Brie Luck. Taking care of an Alzheimer's patient is a pretty much a full-time job. 50% of caregivers die uh, while they Please are caring for awareness them. about Alzheimer's and research. Just because someone's mind is being diminished does not mean that uh, the ordinary physical things don't happen. They can uh, have a sore throat and not be able to tell you. And they can have something in their eye and not be able to explain it. So you have to be aware that in every respect, life is still going on for them physically, even though you are focused on the, uh, the mental dementia, the, the person is still living a life physically and emotionally. For all those who see this video, I hope you will learn more than I ever did before you ever have to know it. That's my message. Support, please, the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you. Please call 800-272-3900. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk News Radio Program. My guest today is Bree Luck, the Artistic Director of Live Arts in Charlottesville, Virginia. We've been talking about a bit of a sea change, lifestyle change anyway, for live arts following the incidents in Charlottesville, August 11th and 12th, 2017. And live arts has, has been for 29 years, I think we're going to talk about that in this segment, a foundational stalwart for Charlottesville. And so for it to recognize a need to broaden and grow and, and listen and converse and then produce 
theater that responds to a new day is what theater is all about. It's what being human is all about. What do you think there, Bree? Oh, absolutely. You That's know, right. You you know, so I mentioned briefly, we are going to talk about, we're definitely going to talk about the season coming up, but Live Arts is 29 years old this year, yes? How did that happen? I know, <laughs> my goodness. And how many theaters do you have within the theater? We have two stages in our theater, mm -hmm. and one is the Gibson Theater. That's used to be called the Downstage Theater because mm -hmm. it's the theater on the second floor instead of the third floor, mm -hmm. and it seats about 165 to 170 people. All of our stages are flexible, so that's that's a pretty fun thing about live arts. When mm. you come in, you, you never quite know what it's going to look like that's when you true. come. That's true. And then our second stage is the Founders Theater, and that's on the third floor, the upstage, mm -hmm. and that seats about 65 to 75 audience members. Mm -hmm. And that one is a place where we can do, we tend to do sort of riskier pieces there. It's really such a luxury to, to have a theater that can accommodate smaller audiences so we can take on riskier pieces that don't have to sell as many seats in the house gotcha. but i'll tell you what those are the ones that sell out yes. too so <laughs> it's pretty funny you know i think everyone's looking for i i always in my years in new york i specialized in uh, uh discovering and developing new plays and unpublished playwrights and indeed directed uh, nixon's nixon for lanford wilson and the uh, circle rep and that was before it, anyone had heard of it uh, or that it had been published, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a hunger, I believe, for something more than Oklahoma. I mean, I've directed like seven Oklahomas. I love the show. But there is a hunger in the audience and, and for the actors and the artistic talent, I believe, too, that we constantly search for what is new and relevant for our time. Because theater is also an educator. Yes. Yes, absolutely. At Live Arts, we have a playwrights lab. Oh yes. So, which is which meets twice a month on Monday evenings. Anyone can join. It's free, and playwrights get together and and do just that. They they write their plays. They read their plays with each other. They give critical feedback to each other. And then this summer, in August, we're gonna scratch that itch for many people who love to see new plays and they're doing a, a locally sourced showcase of different short plays from the playwrights lab so oh. that's that's fun that will be in in late august that is exciting okay mm -hmm. let's get to this season what's up first and and titles and playwrights and and why you're doing it and all that that's great yeah. so you know we're we're turning 29 yes so it's a time of sort of looking back on on where we've come from. And we thought that we would start the season with a musical that really does just that. Mm -hmm. And that is Follies. Yes, yes. So Follies is by musical theater legend Stephen Sondheim mm -hmm. and author James Goldman. Yes. And we are really excited to have a, a local legend, Robert Chapel. Oh, yes. As director, Bob is a fantastic director, and he was the artistic director of Heritage over mm -hmm. at UVA for oh, many yes. years. Yes. And so it's a particular delight to have him open our season with Follies this year, and he's bringing with him 
Greg Harris oh, yes. as musical director of this show. So that is, we are just so excited to have such a, a talented team mm. at the helm. Yes. And Follies is a, it's it takes place in 1971, mm. and this group of people have returned to the Weissman Theater for a reunion of the Weissman Follies. They used to all be performers there. And they've come back because the theater is about to be converted into a parking garage. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we can't say it's not timely. (laughs) (laughs) And and so all of these performers have convened to say goodbye to their old dreams and their old haunts. Mm. And it's, it's really a story where they're looking at their old loves and their old friends, and friends become lovers, mm-hmm. and lovers become friends, and <laughs> life like the show must go on. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, and, it, it, it's a fabulous beginning, yes. It is, and that will run October 4th through October 27th. Okay. That's also tied to, in the beginning of the fall, as we open up our season, we do a big... Uh, a big fundraiser and that is we call it the affair Uh we used to have a gala but now we're having an affair okay and and so that will be a follies affair this year so it will have a follies theme and we'll be uh showing a full performance of follies and having a special bubbly reception all sorts of fun stuff and that will be on october 5th okay excellent and next then we head up to the founders theater and mm-hmm. it's for a really fun offbeat comedy called Tigers Be Still hmm. by Rim, by Kim Rosenstock. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was a playwright I had not heard of before, but I was really delighted to read this play. So we actually read, I don't select all the plays by myself. We have a season selection committee mm-hmm. of about 25 people who read a lot of plays together. And this play was one that just completely tickled us all and mm. we need some comedy these yes days. yes yes and so i'm telling you it's a comedy and then nothing that i'm about to say sounds like a comedy <laughs> <laughs> so it's about a 24 year old woman who is just getting her life together and she's gotten a master's degree in art therapy and she's gotten her first job as a middle school art teacher mm-hmm. and she also has a special assignment to be a therapist for the middle school's principal's son ah. <laughs> who has just graduated from high school and has some major anger issues gotcha. and so they have this connection and in the meantime her older sister is a couch potato who basically has two obsessions and that's bourbon and sabotaging her ex-fiance's life mm. Mm. <laughs> and then upstairs their mother won't come out of her room She's an ex-beauty queen, and she won't leave. She calls her daughters downstairs to convey messages to them. Uh And then out in the world, a tiger has escaped from the local zoo, and the whole town is under watch. So (laughs) it's really Sounds hilarious. (laughs) But it's really a look at how sometimes we can get in our own way. Yes, yes. And, And also that really adulting can be a beast at mm. any age that's really what it is and i just think of how many how many of us have have been in that position where we've just gone through a major life change and don't quite know how to put one step in front of the other mm-hmm. 
And it helps to laugh when you have to do that. Exactly. We will be able to visit the website to get all the opening and closing dates for all the... That's uh, great. So we'll, we'll be good because we'll give that information too. But I want to get to, and I mean there are several more plays to get to, The Humans. Yes. Uh, yes. This this is exciting for me when I heard you were doing this. Tell us about The Humans. Uh, well, the premise is pretty simple. There's a middle-class family of, of six, and they've gotten together... Uh, and one of the one of the the daughter in the family has a modest Chinatown apartment, and they've all gotten together for Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about this show, it's a family dark comedy, mm-hmm. and the really interesting thing about it is that Stephen Karam, who is the playwright, he originally intended to write a thriller, mm. which kind of makes sense because family is pretty scary, mm-hmm. but. But instead, he wrote this beautiful comedy full of teasing and laughter and support and hurt feelings and weird traditions and just everything that is boisterous and loving and uneasy about family gatherings. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited about that show. And Fran Smith, who is one of the founders of Live Arts, Ah. is directing that show. Okay. That will be a... A really interesting one. And then, after that, we go up to the Founders Theater again for a show that I'm very excited about. It's called Men on Boats, uh-huh. and it's by Jacqueline Backhouse. Uh-huh. And there is not a man in the show. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> well, the, the story is about men. Mm-hmm. It's uh, 1869, and it's about these 10 explorers who set off in four boats to chart the rivers that ran through what we now know as the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. So the captain of the expedition is the one-armed Civil War captain, John Wesley Powell. Mm. And it's uh, about all of the the men he was with who braved almost a 1,000 miles of, of rapids mm. to to make this journey and what's interesting is the playwright i'm actually gonna say what the playwright says about this because she states it so eloquently okay the characters in men on boats were historically cisgender white males the cast should be made up entirely of people who are not i'm talking about racially diverse actors who are female identifying trans identifying gender fluid and or non-gender conforming Mm -hmm. so it's it makes it very funny (laughs) 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 it is really it is it is a great very tongue-in-cheek look at how we lay claim to territories yes and and about the inherent narcissism in exploring new lands mm-hmm. and or what we think of as new lands. I'm really excited about Men on Boats, too, because it is our mentor-apprentice program. So we pair a teen designer with an experienced designer to create the show. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite programs in the whole year is the mentor-apprentice program because we get so much energy in the room to create the show. And directing the play is Jeremy Duncan Pape, who is also our technical director, and we're very excited to have him take that on. Okay. And back to the Gibson for Sweat. Yeah, Uh that's right. Sweat is written by Lynn Nottage, 
she won a Pulitzer Prize for drama for this production. But she also, this is actually, she's the only woman to win not one but two Pulitzer Prizes for drama. Wow. Yeah. I know, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Goals. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the last last three shows that, that I've talked about have been have been very comedic. They have some dark moments, but they're they're really comedies. Sweat is is the opposite. It has a little bit of humor, but it is really a devastating and devastatingly beautiful drama. Mm. And it tells the story of American deindustrialization mm-hmm. through the eyes of a group of friends in Reading, Pennsylvania. They're they're all people who have been working in a factory. Mm-hmm. And most of the play takes place in a bar where they've gathered every night after work to have drinks and tell secrets and pick on each other. But when there are layoffs at the factory, they find themselves pitted against each other in the fight to stay afloat. Uh. And it's really the tale of community versus capitalism and union versus upstart and friend against friend. And it is beautiful. Mm. And and I think that it will really touch a lot of people. There's yeah. a reason it won the Pulitzer Prize. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then The Children? The Children. So The Children is a British play uh-huh. by Lucy Kirkwood. It was it played on Broadway last year for we tried to get the rights to it last year and we couldn't. So we are very excited to get the rights this year. Mm -hmm. And this play takes place in a small coastal British village, and it's recently been ravaged by an environmental disaster. Hmm. And there there are two characters who are Hazel and Robin. They are two retired scientists who worked at a nuclear plant nearby. Uh, She practices yoga. Like, (laughs) they have simple (laughs) lives. She makes salad and practices yoga. And he goes off every day to take care of a small cattle farm. And uh, there are a lot of restrictions on what they can do, how they can use water and energy because of this disaster. But they're living a pretty simple life. Mm -hmm. But then a former colleague of theirs, Rose, appears. And she really demands that they grapple with their past. And they make some reparations for some decisions they made a long time ago. And it's pretty incredible. It's, it's, you think it's going to be a love triangle, and it is, but then it really explodes into an eco-thriller mm. that, that really challenges us to consider our own legacy and responsibility and restitution. Mm. And I think it's a very, even though it's British, it's a very Charlottesville play. Yes, yes. And I love the, I love the title because we often forget when we talk about environmental things and political things and issues of the day, that ultimately we are laying them at the feet or on the shoulders of the children. And, oh, and, so, and this play really makes makes that point. In, in a, well, go, come see it. Uh, in the <laughs> Heights, In the Heights, tell us about that. So In the Heights, so the summer, In the Heights is our summer musical. And the summer musicals, are so much fun because we get all the teens to come mm-hmm. do them. Mm-hmm. And this one, we're very excited about. So Lin-Manuel Miranda, of Hamilton fame, yes. wrote In the Heights before Hamilton was In the Heights. Mm. 
And it's, it's really a tribute to the vibrant, tight-knit Latinx community on the brink of change in Washington Heights. Uh-huh. And it is, the music is so much fun. It has hip-hop, has salsa, and merengue, and soul, and you cannot listen to this music without wanting to dance mm. yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a really beautiful celebration of love and life and the and generations of, of people who figure out how to make the most of their relationships with each other and how to really create a home. Mm. So I think it's going to be a, a wonderful, wonderful summer show okay. that will be a lot of fun in our community. And so they give us the broad dates. That is the, 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 the first opening of the new season. and is the, October 4th. And mm-hmm. the last uh, performance of the season. And the last performance of the season is July 26th, 2020. Okay. All right. So it's, we're talking Follies, Tigers Be Still, The Humans, Men on Boats, <laughs> Sweat, The Children, and finally, In the Heights. How do we get tickets? How do we find out more about you and live arts and where to go? Oh, that's great. Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> yes. So we cap our subscriptions at 600, and we've already sold about half of them. So the best way to get tickets is really to subscribe to the whole season. Mm-hmm. It's the best deal. The, the uh, entry-level season subscriptions make the tickets cost about $11 per ticket, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's our fan club. And then we have all the way to director's club tickets where there's free parking and and some special perks. Okay. All subscribers get preferred seating for shows and get a discount for any guests that they would like to join them. Uh, all ticket purchases throughout the year. So that's pretty great. And the way you can subscribe is by going to our website, which is www.livearts, that's L-I-V-E-A-R-T-S dot org, and checking subscribe now. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But you can also get, you know, if you're interested in in one show or a couple of shows and you want to try things out, you can also go and get tickets later in the season. Season subscribers get our guaranteed tickets now, Single ticket purchasers, if the show hasn't sold out and you get your ticket, that's great. Okay. So, and that's also at the website, www.livearts.org. And is that the best way, or is there a box office number to call? I know I'm going to, I'm not, I don't want to tell on anybody, because the, your <laughs> your man there is does an exceptional job and is so personable, but... <laughs> When I talked to him on the phone, we were kidding around a bit, and he knew who I was, but I was talking to him about a ticket for um, The Book of Will by a female uh-huh. a playwright and directed by a female, by the way. In any case, and a great production, congratulations. But his response was, you know, you can do this online these days, you know. <laughs> I just howled. So I had to tell that, but I'm not mentioning his name because he's a good guy. And uh, it just, I laughed, and I still do. But I just wanted to make certain, is it preferred that we go online as opposed to calling? And, and You can absolutely call. The, the phone number to call is 
877-4177. And you can uh, go right to the box office on there and and let our wonderful box office manager yes. know that you would like yes. to get a subscription. <laughs> uh, we also will have, for those who are on our mailing list, the season brochure will go out in the next couple of week, mm-hmm. weeks, and that will also have a mail-in option. So, And if you're not on the mailing list if you and you would like to be, you can always sign up to be on the mailing list at our website as well. Okay. And that website, one more time, Ms. Bree Luck. www.livearts.org. Fantastic. Well, this has been incredible. I mean, I always like talking to theater people, but particularly people I know and have worked with and know they know what they're doing. And Bree Luck has done so much for theater art in Charlottesville for all of the theaters here. And I've worked with Bob and and Greg as well, so that's going to be a tremendous uh, team for Follies, I know. Brie, we wish you all the luck. Uh, all, all the luck. Sorry. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Brie Luck, we wish you all the very best and uh, for Live Arts and for you and your family and Charlottesville and everybody. We uh, Just all the very best. And thank Marcello, you so much. Thank you for spreading the word. And uh, thank you for talking with me today. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Same here. Thanks for being on the show. Bye now. Bye. And I can't remember where I live. And she should have been able to enjoy her grandchildren. There were a lot of them that had come along. They're not touched yet, but they more than likely will be. The Alzheimer's Association has worked tirelessly to raise awareness about this disease because we also know that families that access resources, like the association, have better outcomes overall. And so the Alzheimer's Association has done a tremendous job Um, filling the gaps for us and helping us become better providers, better caregivers for our residents. Just do what you want to do, honey. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) It's okay if you take off your clothes. We're getting ready to go out and you take off your clothes and now you come back with pajamas on. It's okay. And that really helped me a lot. I certainly hope and expect that within the lifetime of everybody in this room, Uh, that we will be able to do a lot more for Alzheimer's disease than we're currently able to do. Support, please, the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you. Please call 1-800-272-3900. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. The reality show that's America's new D-Day normal. Our news media insists we are in a new normal. To the degree we agree, we risk permanently casting ourselves as pawns of corporatism's political comrades. What is normal and true, from our revolution through Civil War to 1994 D-Day, Vietnam, and September 11, 2001, those preserving, protecting, and defending Americans and our Constitution were more often found on foreign battlefields than home with other priorities or bone spurs. Despite the sacrifices of a few for justice for all, women remain second-class citizens under male laws, banning even their right to make and live with their own life choices. 
and still we're easily distracted by unpresidential administration news cycle stealing while the immediate emergency crisis that is an america imprisoned by the trump increasingly disconnects us from reasonable thought each other and the exceptional ideal of the american dream the greatest victims of which still know not what they do Choosing free will for life is an infinitely longer commitment to humanity than choosing birth, then walking away from the reality that America's middle class is as underwater financially as middle America is literally. And American dreams are swirling uncontrollably in tornadoes, destroying much of what we've left of an earth suffering from our lack of stewardship. So can we as individuals accept that for whatever time remains for earth and all life upon it, we choose to passionately pursue a life of excellence together, in reparation for time lost, talent unused, and good not done. Sadly, mass murder is neither new nor normal, whether seventy-five years ago or in lower Manhattan, Virginia Beach, Charleston, South Carolina, The Pulse, or Parkland, Florida, and there is nothing new, normal, nor patriotic about the masses who are mesmerized by politicians, TV ads, and talking heads rendering America vulnerable. If George Will can say, making an ass out of you and me, the Senate remains in the hands of his conservative friends to heal our political culture, we need to replace our current president. Shouldn't all ask what you can do for your country patriots aligned with when they see us and admit we've been bamboozled by an opportunistic right-wing populism reality show host and confess? Like torture at Guantanamo, Quantico's Black Hole, and railroaded Central Park Five are evidence of American homage to China's Tiananmen Square cover-up. As my grandmama always said, the worst lies we tell are the lies we tell ourselves. And like her, Nancy Pelosi is a strong woman who, seeing the United States of America's big-picture challenge coming soon to a mental state near you, speaks for a long view for our national life. The thoughtless, self-serving, and vulgar insult Mike Pence, Clarence Thomas, Brett Kavanaugh, Stephen Mnuchin, Jim Jordan, Mitch McConnell, and Donald Trump are to we the people a confirmation of their being unsuitable American leaders. Nonetheless, the core responsibility of civilization demands we give the devil's tools the benefit of law, for this is the very foundation of America's original intent. Donald Trump was never a hard-charging, get-things-done CEO. Like all reality TV, The Apprentice was pretend, a bully wrapped in a secret inheritance inside a bigot. To cure America's Donald Trump infection, we must not follow his example, but rather we must defeat his malice aforethought from the inside out. We must psych out the craven psychopaths. We must take away from Donald Trump what he cannot live without. Trump's lifeblood is screeching worshippers, chanting applauders, news cycle dominance, daily headlines, talking heads after talking heads bespeaking his nothingness as lo and behold, men in arms snapping to his attention, women offering their breasts and Bibles for his autographed adornment, palms strewn at his feet, total Zeke Heil adoration. 
Deny him this, and he will shrivel like Dracula, exposed to the dawning of a new day of freedom. Though, like the Russian hacks and American money that twisted our electoral college in his favor, what keeps our speaker and the wise awake at night? Prudent anticipation of the desperate acts of a cornered animal. For this unprecedented character's art is to deal out only simplistic retribution, seeking the sympathy of uncomplicated thinkers. Yet there are no simple answers for addictions to gun violence, sexual harassment, ISIS child abuse, or swaging the greed of opiate makers. Nor is impeachment, if it leaves grounded in place, an electable Mike Pence riding the tattered coattails of misplaced sympathy. Reckless abandonment deserting individuals to homelessness and national security to whimsy is Donald Trump's M.O. So beware when trying to reason with the unreasonable, for such incitement to violence can be contagious. Nevertheless, the power of peaceful assembly cannot allow an unsound president, buffered by enchanted clones, to destroy both presidency and republic, nor our true normal. America progresses forward. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.